Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, you're back with Jay Shapiro. Thanks for listening. Something happened last week that you just best describe as mind-boggling. The Prime Minister of Little Israel, Naftali Bennett, went on Shabbat. They got permission from the rabbinate to visit Moscow and then to Berlin and there were attempts to reach a negotiating ceasefire between the Russian attacks on Ukraine, which are escalating and causing more death and destruction. Bennett was cast in the role of a mediator and a peace broker who's considered uniquely able to talk to both sides, the Russian President Vladimir Putin and the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. His efforts were reportedly coordinated with the United States government, as well as with the German Chancellor, who had visited Jerusalem just a few days before, and it was also said to be cooperating with French President Emmanuel Macron. This was a heroic an uh, idea it placed Israel among the top echelons of international power brokers. This is something which is really hard to imagine when you think back to the fact that Israel is such a young state. Israel has its own problems. Israel is always being in the eye of the world. Israel is either being primarily condemned and or praised, and suddenly it's become a mediator in a major conflict with which, if it gets out of control, could lead to a third world war. Israel is in there trying to make peace, which I think is absolutely fantastic and speaks well with the Jewish nation. I'll be back after the break. Hello, I am Walter Bingham. If you want to hear the news behind the news and the true perspective on world affairs, then the Walter Bingham File is the program for you. We bring you interviews with the movers and shakers, political commentaries, and on-the-spot reports of events as they happen. All here every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Israel Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And it's all archived on our website. Make it a date. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, you're back with Jay Shapiro. 
You're back with Jay Shapiro. Right now, all eyes are on the war in the Ukraine. And I want to say uh, something about the American reaction and what lessons can be learned by Israel. But first, I want to remind the listeners of a fact. And I hand over this information without making judgment. A century ago, Jews were caught in the middle of a war between Ukraine and Poland for national sovereignty. That war took place between 1919 and 1921. And both sides did a lot of killing of Jews, in particular the Ukrainians. Whether they did so out of plain anti-Semitism, but whether they perceived as the Jews favoring one side or the other is immaterial. In both those countries, Ukraine and Poland, there is a history of violent anti-Semitism. Matter of fact, in Ukraine, going back to the 1600s, there was a terrible pogrom in which at least 100,000 the Jews were killed by a Ukrainian hero whose statue stands in Kiev today. I've seen it myself. I visited there about four years ago. So, the, in addition, it's ironic that while Jews are rightfully called upon to condemn the shelling of uh, Kiev, including a memorial to the Jews killed there in Babi Yar, it's forgotten that the Jews who were killed there on Yom Kippur 1941, 33,770 Jews were killed there, were killed mostly by Ukrainian collaborators of the Nazis. A matter of fact, Ukrainians were among the most brutal uh, Hitler's executioners and has served, many served as concentration camp guards and indeed, there was an infamous Ukrainian who uh, had gotten, uh, found his way to the United States and was brought back to Israel for trial. And eventually he was expedited to Ukraine, but he, was, uh, he died before his trial could be completed. So the Ukrainian, Ukrainians have a negative history toward the Jews. What's ironic today is the president of the Ukraine is uh, a Jew. So the world has, uh, history has in- interesting and unexpected flip-flops. And I just say that as background. The, what I want to say, what's happening there vis-a-vis the American government's response because of the implication it has upon Israel. In the course of the last year, the United States withdrew from Afghanistan and it gave convincing evidence of American decline that had been unthinkable under the prior administration. The administration, the Trump administration, that had not only moved the American embassy to Jerusalem, the uh, after the the, uh, United, the U.S. Congress had passed the law in the in late 1990s to move the embassy to Jerusalem, and all the presidents until Trump found an excuse 
not to move the embassy, and finally Trump did it. He also helped Israel gain recognition from some of our Muslim neighbors. And this is already history, but now things are going backward under the Biden administration. It's no coincidence that the two Russian invasions on its neighbors occurred during first the Obama administration and now during the Biden presidency. No similar breach occurred during the Trump years. Biden continues the weak indifference displayed by Obama. There are no red lines and threatened crippling sanctions never materialize. Biden waited for Putin to act before taking any meaningful countermeasures, providing the bare minimum of weapons to Ukraine before the invasion. So he delayed imposing sanctions when they might have deterred the Russians. He dispatched his vice president, Harris, who has absolutely no understanding of foreign fears and uh, she was supposed to develop a unified course of action with the Western allies, and her mission was really an embarrassment to the United States. Biden has expressly stated he has no intention of interfering with Russia's oil and gas sales, which financed the present war effort. Even as Biden has reversed U.S. energy independence achieved under Trump, the U.S. purchases 600,000 barrels of Russian oil every day. The, the best response to what the Russians are doing today would be to unleash America's oil and gas resources. That would reduce Russia's income while loosening, loosening Russia's stranglehold on European energy needs. And that apparently what's happening is Biden is beholden to the far left wing of the Democratic Party and therefore has no in inclination to take a reasonable step. Putin took the measurement of Biden. He saw what he, that he is weak. And in light of Biden's hes hesitancy to do anything consequential to stop the Russian invasion, the... Um, Everything else is immaterial. In other words, Putin recognized Biden's weakness. Now, the lesson for us is this exactly the same. We have to recognize Biden's weakness. Right? Biden has another three years in office. A lot can happen in that time. Our closest ally is the United States. Not only do we depend on the United States, the truth of the matter is there is a mutual dependence because even when the United States provides us with weaponry, we improve that weaponry and we give the improvements back to the Americans. I don't know if any other country using American weaponry improves it to the manner that we do. So the Americans essentially gain by providing weaponry to Israel because in, in turn their own weaponry is improved. So we have an extremely close relationship with the United States. It is for all practical purposes our closest and most important ally. 
when you have a head of the United States who shows weakness, really, when the world is now facing a crisis, probably the, the biggest since the end of the Cold War, and perhaps the biggest since the Second World War, we have to know the, we have to understand the weakness and the strengths, if there are any, of the man sitting in the White House. Because the United States is our closest ally. And we have to learn something. We have to learn a lot, as a matter of fact, from the American response, the Biden administration response to what's happening in Ukraine today. Incidentally, as far as the war in Ukraine is concerned, Israel is generously providing humanitarian assistance to the overall Ukrainian public, both Jews and non-Jews. You can conclude that Israel is doing more than its fair share in helping Ukraine to get through this very difficult um, period. So the... uh, the uh, Ukraine and the countries around Ukraine are troubled the unprovoked aggression by the Russians, but uh, the, the Israel is providing assistance, not military assistance, but humanitarian assistance. So our prime minister actually uh, went to Russia uh, on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, he also traveled to Germany. He was back in Israel by Sunday in an effort to be sort of a negotiator in this war. I I don't w- know what was behind his reasoning or whether it would be good or bad for Israel, but he really did something unexpected. He suddenly got involved in a situation of uh, tremendous importance to the future of the world, as a matter of fact. So we'll have to see what will happen based upon Bennett's trip to Russia and to Germany. But somehow the Jews get get involved in all kinds of problems. Often they're not problems relating to them themselves. So did, did his trip save the day? Probably not, but it won't go unnoticed. Israel is a small nation, and uh, all of a sudden, we have a tricky situation that could affect the entire world. So Israel is walking a tightrope between Ukraine and Russia, and uh, it's only a matter of time before Israel has to take a forceful position for one side or the other. So it's difficult to see what it'll be by having stuck our heads in the middle but there is never, ever a dull moment. I'll be back after the break. Hi, 
everyone. This is Andrea Simento from Jerusalem inviting you to drop everything and join me on my show. Pull up a chair. We'll visit this week's quirky stories, meet fabulous guests, and discover my Israel. Together we'll laugh, shout, and explain the topics that make us say, hey, we've got to talk about that. So get comfortable and pull up a chair with me, Andrea Simento, every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. I've often repeated that a program like mine is one that is limited to what it can really cover. Uh, My program is only once a week, and uh, I'm not an expert in any particular field, and therefore I avoid talking about big world affairs, and I try only to relate to those things that affect, affect Israel and the Jewish people. Now it turns out uh, that one of the world affairs that is going to affect Israel and the Jewish people is the war between Russia and the Ukraine, which may be a defining moment, uh, not only for the Jews, but for world history. There are defining moments in history most of which are only recognized after the fact. And it could be the Russian invasion of Ukraine could be a defining moment that we see already is the first major conflict involving the world powers since the Second World War, and especially since the Cold War, World, the Cold War. Uh, After the World War II, the world pretty much seemed to be taking on liberal ideas and international organizations and all kinds of uh, movements to advance peace and cooperation and uh, human activities, international scientific progress, uh, freedom of navigation and prohibition, prohibition of occupying territories of other countries and so forth, and uh, that uh, one of the signs is, of course, the UN, which is turning out to be a big failure, that that's a story of, uh, of itself. But now the invasion of Russia into the Ukraine is putting this order to a very difficult test. Now, it's true that Putin's invasion of uh, Ukraine may not be the first challenge of global order. There have been wars and human rights violations and occupations. Uh, Lately, it seems that the lesson of World War II have been forgotten, and we're witness to growing threats from all kinds of of, uh, authoritarian governments and even the Western governments, the liberal governments themselves are in crisis. We can see that in the United States. So um, the the struggle for the world today is 
is, I think it's pretty much being waged between not just nations, but worldviews, and within countries, and I think particularly the United States, there is a struggle for, uh, for different worldviews. Uh, the, the, what's happening in the United States is a lesson unto itself, a story, a story unto itself. For example, when I was a kid, everybody I know uh, voted for the Democratic Party. And today, the Democratic Party is not the one that I grew up with. So the United States, I believe, is in crisis. So now, Putin's invasion is what well, I could be one of the defining moments in history. So uh, you have to ask yourself, where is Israel while Putin is invading Ukraine? The uh, Israel is portraying, portraying itself as a possible mediator uh, to, to walk between the lines because Israel has a tremendous amount of interest here. Uh, the primary one, there are many, but the primary one is the fact that the Russians control the air over Syria and Israel must be free to act in that air against terrorists. So I'm sure that the, uh, the, the, the that is one of the things that our prime minister discussed with Putin when he was in in uh, Russia on the Shabbat. So um, prior to the invasion, Israel tried to lay low and avoid any response. When it could no longer ignore developments, Israel expressed support for Ukraine's territorial integrity. It's interesting that Israel did that with, if you look at all the comments made by the Prime Minister and by the uh, our Foreign Secretary, they expressed support for Ukraine's territorial integrity without mentioning Russia. Um, once, once Russia invaded, uh, Foreign Minister Yair Lapid issued a clearer statement condemning the Russian invasion, but Prime Minister Bennett continued to maintain ambiguity as long as he could. And interestingly enough, Israel did not accept a U.S. invitation to sign on as, as a sponsor to the United Nations Security Council condemnation of Russia. Now, that bothered Washington, but Israel had to act in its own interests. Uh, then Israel announced it would vote in favor of the condemnation in the General Assembly of Russia, which it did. And Israel even helped the United States recruit other states to join in the condemnation. And as I've said, Israel has a tremendous number of uh, considerations to worry about. We need the freedom to operate in, in Syria. The skies are controlled by Russia, but we need to operate there against terrorism, uh, relations with Russia and Ukraine, the safety of the Jewish communities in Ukraine and in Russia, a series of alliances with Western states, potential economic repercussions, the impact on Iran's nuclear program, and a lot of other subjects. This is very complex and very important, but sometimes there is a bigger picture that is simpler. 
Israel's decision in these days will have long-term implications for its relations with the United States, which is its closest friend, and with Europe, and we need vital support for security, economy, and identity. So these other countries are looking to see where does Israel stand. And the truth of the matter is, at another level, Israel's choice also has implications for its ethical position in the world. Israel uh, positions itself as a leading, leading the struggle to absorb the lessons of World War II. Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East, and it has developed pretty much as a Western liberal state. So the question that we address is, does the state of Israel seek to keep nurturing its identity in accordance with its values, or what? Israel's choice also has impact on its mutual relations, relationships with other countries. At such defining moments, and we are in a defining moment, at such moments a country's character comes into play. Israel is being watched not only by Europe, by Ukraine, and by Russia. Israel is being watched by Cyprus, by Greece, Egypt, Jordan, Turkey, and the United Arab Emirates, our, our new uh, friends, to see which way Israel leans in relation to the world order. They're going to want to know whether Israel can be relied on in times of trouble. Where does Israel draw a red line? And with which ideological camp does Israel affiliate? And Israel's choice also has implications for the identity it projects to its own citizens. They're looking at the government's behavior and at the values it reflects. The Israeli government's decisions regarding the Russian invasion of Ukraine are the type of decisions that shape a country's identity. So how will Israel's position affect its own character and the response of its own citizens, many of whom, by the way, <laughs> come from Russia. So the singular reason for Israel to completely avoid allying itself with Ukraine is to preserve its ability to respond to Ukraine's request to serve as a mediator of Russia. Uh, Israel, our prime minister, uh, spoke with the German chancellor, he spoke with Putin, he spoke with Zelensky, he visited Putin in Moscow, and he went to Berlin, had another phone call to Zelensky, according to the records. The, uh, then if the motivation for all these activities to fulfill Zelensky's request for Israel to assist him in mediating and bringing a quick war to the war, an end to the war, then it's the right thing to do morally and even politically. Then these actions obviously had to be coordinated with the United States. But Israel has to look out for its own tactical interests. And so it, Israel is weighing many considerations. Every state has to. Uh, even It's a real major challenge, and we can only hope and pray that our government makes the right decision and the right balances, both ethically and for real politic, 
considerations. So, which what what Israel acts upon now in this foreign war is going to affect our future and our relation with other countries. I'll be back after the break. Shalom, I'm Leah Aharoni. Join me on my show, News from the Torah. Each Sunday, we'll use the weekly Torah portion as a prism for understanding the news today. Listen to News from the Torah to gain clarity about the times we're living in and to understand your own spiritual path in the process. News from the Torah, every Sunday on Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. I mentioned previously that uh, having spent so much time on the... uh, critical issue of Ukraine-Russian war, I would turn to subject somewhat lighter. And I have a subject which I am not quite sure it's lighter, but I think I should share with the uh, listeners. And that has to do with the uh, Palestinian response uh, to what's happening in, in Ukraine. Palestinian leaders have chosen not to take sides in the Russian-Ukraine war. They have nevertheless begun accusing the international community of applying two sets of rules in dealing with various crises. The Palestinian leader's main argument is that international community is being hypocritical and actually racist by being more sympathetic toward the Ukrainians because of their color, religion, and race than they are to the Palestinians. They're also taking the world community to task for allegedly ignoring Israeli crimes against the Palestinians while condemning, condemning Russia for its invasion of Ukraine and war crimes. The, a senior advisor to the Palestinian Authority, a fellow named Mahmoud al-Habash, last week condemned the international community over what he called its silence on Israeli violations while rushing to denounce human rights violations in other parts of the world. He delivered a sermon during the uh, Friday prayers in Ramallah and he said, he essentially addressed the international community, and he said, does international legitimacy apply according to religion, race, or geography? And referring to the Russian-Ukraine war, Chabai said that when events occur here or there, the international community is mobilized. 
but no one notices the Palestinian people have been facing injustice for more than 70 years. Justice and law do not accept selectivity, unquote. Another senior Palestinian official, the, uh, a member of the uh, PLO executive committee named Hussein Asheikh, wrote on Twitter, and I quote, when color, religion, and race become an identity, values of morals and humanity are lost. When international legitimacy is breached by double standards, justice is lost, rights are destroyed, and power becomes tyrannical, unquote. So what they're doing is an attempt to liken the Russia-Ukraine crisis to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The, uh, these Palestinian officials are essentially saying that the international community needs to notice the Palestinians, like the Ukrainians, are also facing occupation and displacement. An official of the Palestinian Authority Ministry of Foreign Affairs pointed out that since the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine war, various international bodies and organizations have condemned Russia and even accused it of committing war crimes while ignoring Palestinian suffering and Israeli crimes. And this, according to these um, PA, Palestinian Authority leaders, is a clear example of, double, of the double standards of the international community. If Russia is committing war crimes, what about Israeli, Israeli war crimes? If the Ukrainian people are victims in the eyes of the international community, what about the Palestinians? We're also victims of Israeli occupation. The, another um, spokesman for the Fatah faction in the Palestinian Authority said uh, he essentially lambasted the international community for applying different sets of principles for the Russian-Ukraine war and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And he said in a statement on Saturday, do some consider Palestinian blood to be second-class blood? Is humanity classified according to race and color? And also there's a Palestinian newspaper called Al-Quds said that the Ukrainian crisis raises many questions about the American and European positions. If they are keen on protecting the rights and their future and are afraid of Russian expansion, then the big question is, what is their position toward the Israeli occupation? So you see you have a sideline to the, uh, the uh, conflict in Europe, uh, and it's the Palestinians uh, claiming that they're not getting re recognition. Very sad, very sad. Uh, I want to move on to another subject. And that is that uh, several weeks ago, the European Council adopted uh, its conclusions on combating racism and anti-Semitism, including treating anti-Semitism as a separate phenomenon for all types of racism, 
by creating a separate resolution with guidelines toward the treatment of anti-Semitism in all European Union countries. So this declaration by the European Council makes the fight against anti-Semitism a priority of Europe's executive branch and comes in years of the World Jewish Congress working with the leadership of the European Union on codifying measures to fight anti-Semitism in Europe at all levels. So, the, in other words, the, a Jewish organization has impressed upon the European Council that anti-Semitism is a unique and special form of hatred and has to be treated differently than all other forms of, uh, of uh, hatred. Now, the European Council, by the way, is composed of the heads of state of government of U European Union member states, as well as the council's president and the president of the European Commission. And they officially put out in a statement that said, the fight against racism and anti-Semitism is one of the political priorities of the Council of the European Union. And uh, so they're going to urge social media companies to remove content with anti-Semitic rhetoric, and they're trying to strengthen security at Jewish institutions and adopt the uh, IHRA definition of anti-Semitism. And what's interesting, interesting is uh, the uh, the uh, one of the leaders of the uh, European Union made a statement, and I quote: "With rising anti-Semitism and hatred across Europe, uh, we think that uh, something has to be done." So they're essentially making a commitment to combating anti-Semitism and as well as recognition that anti-Semitism is a unique and a serious threat. So the question is whether anything will really be done or it's simply words. I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. So uh, doing... What they're doing is essentially acknowledging that anti-Semitism is a distinct form of hatred and it has to be eradicated as it is, not as uh, just a regular regular kind of, of hatred. So uh, one, one more point. Um, I have these little items on the desk that I think are of uh, interest to the, uh, to the listeners. Uh, Australia, uh, two weeks ago, listed all of Hamas as a terrorist organization, and they called this a move, uh, a, a deterrent to political and religious violence and bringing Australia in line with the United States and the European Union. The uh, interesting, Australia has, for two decades, uh, proscribed Hamas's paramilitary wing as something that's bad. But the um, now what they've done essentially is say if all of Hamas is a terrorist organization. So this change puts Australia into lockstep with its allies, which have also been moving to tighten their opposition 
to uh, the uh, Hamas ruling body. Hamas rules in the Gaza, uh, and it's um, it mentioned that Hamas now has access to sophisticated weaponry and terrorist training facilities, and that's all bad and dangerous to Israel, and their, their hateful ideology have no place uh, in Australia, and therefore they essentially ban them from Australia. So I guess that's good news. So the bottom line in this week's program is the conflict in uh, Europe is one that Israel must keep an eye on. It is central. It is probably the most disturbing thing since the Second World War. It affects Israel. It affects Jews. It affects the world. We have to keep an eye on it. Thanks again for listening. Jay Shapiro signing off. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.